And I think that that is something that a lot of people miss when they are trying to decide what their marketing strategy should be, is they think that all the different I'll say marketing platforms, and I just mean places you could market your business, everything from YouTube to Facebook ads to Instagram stories to your email newsletter, you know, all these different places people create content to market their business. They think they're all equal and that they all can create the same results. And while there are so many amazing ones out there, they're all different. And they all have different places where they will ideally really fit into your your customer journey. And putting one of any of them in the wrong place of your customer journey will significantly, severely affect your ultimate result. We're surrounded with the message that entrepreneurship is the hard life, the stressful life, the burnout, hustling and pushing is par for the cause. And while scaling a business isn't without its challenges, I am passionate about showing women that we get to step into financial overflow doing what we love. I'm on a mission to not only help you scale your impact and your income, but also to support you in running your business in a way that allows you to reclaim time back to spend with the people that you care about most. Join me for interviews, trainings, and musings on sales and marketing and mindset, because I'm a firm believer that our businesses grow at the same rate that we do. I'm your host, Naomi Powell, wife, mother, speaker, and business coach, and this is the Lifestyle Edit Podcast. Gillian, welcome to the Lifestyle Edit Podcast. Hey there. Thank you so much for having me. I am so thrilled to have you. So <laughs> I was literally walking Jillian through all of the things that I want to talk to <laughs> on today's episode of the podcast. But before we get into all of that great stuff, Jillian, just kind of share a little bit about who you serve and how and how you serve them right now. Yeah, so I run an online business that provides education to entrepreneurs who want to start online businesses or who have recently started their online business and they're trying to take it to the next level. And I really guide them through the process of building a strong, successful, sustainable online business that is growing month after month and creating real profits so that people can actually support themselves. Because I see so many entrepreneurs out there who they have all these ideas and they start their business as a little side hustle and it just ends up being a lot of work and it never turns into something that they can really make significant money from, really support themselves with. And so it's just a side passion project. And I want to help more entrepreneurs really turn their passion projects into things that they can use to support themselves and their families full time. So I do that by way of my personal brand. I have a website, gillianperkins.com. And then also on my YouTube channel that recently reached over 20 million views. Wow. Wow. And that's one of the reasons why your content has always really appealed to me is that you are so transparent about walking people behind the scenes and are just so focused with the way that you approach the rollout of your business and really supporting other founders to really get that clarity on what's the bigger picture? How can we reverse engineer? Because it's Mm -hmm. so easy for us to kind of go into that shiny penny syndrome and constantly feel like we're doing, you know, hashtag all the things, but we're not actually feeling it in the way that we're compensated and just with the ease as our business continues to grow. Um, So I'm so pleased that we have you here today to kind of really unpack some of these things. And speaking of that, I think what's testament to the kind of focus, the clarity and the systems that you've put in place is that you recently had a baby girl, you've come back to work and you're working less than 15 hours a week. So what are some of the systems that you've been able to put in place to to be able to cultivate a business that continues to thrive without you having to, without it being predicated on you putting more hours in to support that? So, I mean, this started years ago when I first started building this online business. I knew that I wanted to build something that didn't demand me for 40 hours a week. And also, most important of all, something that allowed me to work on a flexible schedule. So I'd be much more all right with working 40 hours a week on a flexible schedule than 20 hours a week when I had to be in the office at certain times. Um, just because like, that's a personal value of mine. I really appreciate flexibility. It makes me feel a lot more happy and relaxed. Um, but also because I do have four young children. And so just the fact that I can be with them when they need me, um, is a big blessing. So 
when I first started building this online business, I was working another job, um, actually running a local business. And so I didn't have that much time to work on it. So from day one, I've been working only about 15 to 20 hours per week. Um, but at first I was working that time and not really producing any income from it. I was just, you know, working, 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 trying to figure out what I was doing, trying different things and no money was coming in. And now as the business has grown over the past about five years now, now we're bringing in a half million dollars a year, working the same amount per week. So that's one thing I really want people to to understand is that it's not so much about how much you work, it's about what you're spending your time on because mm-hmm. you can work 20 hours a week and you can make nothing or you can work 20 hours a week and you can make you know millions of dollars. I know people who have businesses far more successful than mine who work a very similar amount to me. So it's more about the strategy that you're using. It's more about what you're spending your time on. Um, As far as some of the systems that I've put into place in my business that allow me to, at this point, be earning real money and working this minimum amount, first of all is outsourcing a lot of things. And I know, obviously, this is pretty common advice, you know, delegate, outsource, so that you don't have to do so much yourself. Um, And it's certainly advice that I heard from the very start and advice that really didn't work for me at the start. I tried hiring virtual assistants. I tried outsourcing different parts. Um, I know I tried outsourcing some design work and all sorts of different things. And it seemed like I never would get the results that I wanted. And it would always end up taking a lot more of my time to be outsourcing than it would have to just have done it myself from the start. And, you know, then I would have gotten the result I was looking for as well. Um, So that was really frustrating for quite a long time. But I think that, you know, part of this really was just trial and error um, and figuring out, you know, like learning from your mistakes. You hire one person and you're like, "Hmm, why isn't this working out? And, you know, some of the things that I realized was that I really needed to wait a little bit to outsource until I had a little bit of a bigger budget because when I was just trying to hire the the cheapest person I could, that was causing some of the problems. I was just, I also just realized that hiring outside of the U.S. Well, hiring, I would say mostly non-native English speakers creates additional challenges. It's not that these people don't know how to do the work really well, but it just creates communication challenges. So those are a couple of things that helped me when I was trying to figure out how to outsource. And I would also say that the bigger my team gets and the more successful hires I make, the easier it becomes to find new people in the future, both because I have a bigger network and so I can get really good referrals, uh, but also because I know who I'm looking for now. And so when I'm interviewing people, I know when I find them. And I don't want anyone to think like, oh, well, I don't have a big budget, so I can't hire, I can't use this at all because it's it's more about being willing to pay a more premium rate per hour, but it doesn't have to be a lot of hours. So you might hire someone for 20 or $30 an hour versus five or $10 an hour, but they only help you for a few hours a week, but that could still be really helpful and get some big things off your plate. One of the things that I've learned... <laughs> in delegating and putting the right people in the right seats is that exactly what you said, typical advice, especially to early stage entrepreneurs is delegate, delegate. Mm -hmm. But I think what happens before that is that you need to be very clear on the activities that move the needle and have really Mm -hmm. clear focus on what's profitable, what service suites actually, what products in your service suite actually, um, deserve your time. So we can delegate, but we can, again, like you were saying with the 15 hours doing things that move the needle versus 15 hours and doing things that don't, that actually don't generate the income. We can do the same with delegation. We can just put things that actually don't drive anything out to outsource. And again, feel like the outsourcing is the problem where it was actually that lack of focus on Mm -hmm. what we should be outsourcing that's actually going to contribute to our bottom line. Oh yeah, for sure. So when I was first trying to outsource, one mistake that I made was I was just trying to outsource some like easy, almost like busy work, not exactly busy work, but uh, kind of like low level stuff. So I thought, okay, I need help with just like customer service. I need people to design a bunch of stuff for me. I need, I don't know. I just had like these lists of these random little tasks that I felt like were, you know, taking my time. Um, But later on, what I realized was that to outsource the most successfully, I needed to make sure that I was either outsourcing tasks that were taking me 
um, inordinately too much time. So they were things that other people could do far faster than I could. So it would save me a big chunk of my time so I could focus on my most important activities. Or I needed to outsource things where I wasn't... Um, I, I wasn't as skilled as I needed to be. So I wasn't doing them as well as I could. So I needed to outsource to an expert who could get a better result than I could. So one of the very first things, well, the very first thing that I successfully outsourced was my video editing. Now, honestly, I... I Video editing is something that I think people either love or they hate. Um, I love it because it's such a creative part of the process of creating a video. Um, it's where you really get to kind of like put your ideas together and see how they fit together and make something with the video that you shot. But it is extremely time consuming. So even though I liked it, I knew I wasn't that skilled at it um, because I'd never been trained and it ta would take me five hours or so per video. And so mm -hmm. that was an easy thing to outsource because there are lots of people out there who are skilled at video editing, who can do the work just as well as I can. And it earned me five hours back for my to my week that I could spend on other things, driving my business forward that, you know, that no one else could do. So that was one of the things there. And then sometimes it's been something that I just didn't have the skill for, um, like Facebook ads or a lot of the things I'm thinking of right now, kind of marketing strategy things, but those are things I'm skilled at. But for a lot of people, marketing strategy things can be a big one. Um, for me, one of those would be graphic design. I'm not that skilled at graphic design and it takes me a whole lot of time. So that was another early thing I outsourced. So we hear a lot about, you know, as the founders, really focusing on the things that drive the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs understand that intellectually, but then <laughs> they kind of get to their desks and they don't actually know what that those things should actually be. Yeah. How, how are you determining how you're spending your time to really drive the business forward? Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about that just as I said that, as I said, you know, like that I was outsourcing things so I could spend more time on the things that really moved the business forward. I was like, that's one of those pieces of advice that people say all the time that isn't very clearly defined. So I'm glad you brought that up. You know, it's going to be different for every business, of course, but some of the things I would say is, first of all, no one can do your strategic planning for you. Now, this doesn't have to take an enormous amount of time, but nobody can decide what direction you're going to take the business in, what you're going to offer when you you're going to promote things, where you're going to promote them, all those sorts of things, who you're going to hire. So taking the time to make those plans and then to, you know, make more detailed plans as well. How are we going to do those things that we have now planned to do? Um, that's something no one else can do. So that would be probably the very first one. Um, second would be if you are a personal brand or you have a personal component to your brand, you are the face of your brand, which you know a lot of entrepreneurs these days are, then there's going to be some outward facing work you have to do, whether that's you making YouTube videos, you talking on Instagram stories, you being a guest on a podcast, you know, whatever that is, wherever you are visible in the business, only you can do that. And most likely that is work that is key to your business growth because that's a big part of your marketing strategy and how you're positioning yourself. So that'd be another thing that you can't outsource that by outsourcing, you can do more of that work. Gary Vaynerchuk would be the most extreme example of this. And I, I'm not advocating anyone take it to that extent, but he's outsourced everything so that he can constantly be on camera essentially. So yeah, that'd be a very extreme example. Um, and then one more thing, and this kind of goes hand in hand with the first thing would be um, executing your kind of like executing your strategies. Now you certainly might delegate parts of this, but there will be parts of executing your sales and marketing strategies, parts of creating your products that you don't know how to outsource right now and that are far easier for you to do yourself in order to get the result you're really looking for. So this could be something like writing the copy for your sales page because you know what's so amazing about your product and the best way for you to tell people about it is to write the words on your sales page. Yeah. Um, it could be you, like I said, like creating a video, it could be you actually handcrafting your product if that's something you do, or you filming the lessons for an online course that you're making. But whatever parts of the process of executing your strategy for growing your company that right now you don't know how, or you can't afford to have someone else do, um, or a lot of the time it's just that it's really hard to find someone who is as, as qualified for you, especially if you have an 
expertise-based business um, or a service-based business where you really are the person who can provide that knowledge to your customers or that skill to your customers, then that's going to be the work that you need to prioritize. How do you find the balance between the delivery of the service and also then working on the business? Because one of the things that I see that contributes greatly to the feast of famine that a lot of service providers experience is that they'll get overbooked. They're also undercharging, so they don't have that margin to reinvest back into delegating. And then they'll be full on in delivery mode all of the marketing will fall by the wayside. And then it's like now having to do another Herculean push to sell out whatever it is that they're selling. And then again, they're locked into delivery and then they don't have a pipeline. So how (laughs) do you, how do you balance the two? How do I balance the two? Well, I would say I lean heavily in the direction of emphasizing the building, the systems and on Focusing on the marketing, the delivery of the product is almost the when we have time for it, part of the process. Um, so what I just mean by that is like me actually making a new course or me building a new system for delivering it. That is the thing that sometimes gets pushed to the side because I'm so focused on building the brand, building my audience, um, getting the word out, doing the the marketing things, Um, sometimes to my detriment, because we do have to have that balance between the two. But I've certainly seen the situation that you're talking about, absolutely, where someone works so hard to book themselves out, then they're booked out, and then they start the feast and the famine cycle where they have too much work and then they have not enough work. So I would say we want to be dedicating at least 20% of our time to getting new work and to growing the business. And so from a really practical perspective, that looks like one day a week. Um, however, for a lot of people, um, dedicating one day a week might not be the best kind of routine or schedule to do it on. It might be, serve them better to more do like one week a month or even a couple of weeks per quarter that they really focus on those activities. And it de- you know, depends on what your strategy is for how you're getting those new clients into the business. So you know, if you're running Facebook ads, that's something you can invest a little bit of time in and then can kind of be sitting there running in the background. If your strategy is word of mouth, then, and, which really can be a strategy, <laughs> you know, that's not something we're just like hoping and praying for. Um, but if your strategy is word of mouth, then maybe you're going to spend a couple of weeks building a system to get your customers to refer you more consistently, maybe a series of emails they get to prompt them to uh, fill out, a rev- to write a review for you or to share it with someone. And then that can be running in the background. And so I think it's about, you know, spending a little bit of time to initially build the system that is going to be bringing in the new work and then a scheduling time in the future for maintenance of the system because maintenance is always for whether it's Facebook ads, whether it's mm-hmm. um, you, you being booked on a podcast, you know, you can uh, pitch yourself to a bunch of podcasts that you want to be on in a day, but then you're going to have to follow up with those a little bit over time. So realistically, I'd say you're going to block out a chunk of time to create the system. Maybe you need a chunk of time before that to, to you know, decide to do that strategic planning. Um, but then you're going to need to dedicate a few hours every week just for the maintenance of that system. And by doing that pre-planning, by being intentional about that ahead of time, by not overbooking yourself, you know, by having that self-control to put limits and boundaries on your calendar so that you leave enough time for life and also for kind of this this strategic planning and this strategic growth in your business, then you're going to be much better served long term. I want to quickly pause today's episode to invite you to join us in the Grow With Intention membership. This monthly coaching container is the place for online service providers ready to grow their business to the six-figure mark without overwhelm or hustle. The strategies I'm teaching every month in the membership are the exact strategies I've taught hundreds of clients, strategies that have helped countless women break the six-figure mark and beyond. I am collapsing time for you, sharing all the things you need to know to grow your online service business with ease. It's the first time I'm making these strategies available outside my high-level one-on-one and mastermind program. Every month in the membership, you'll get live trainings on topics like sales, marketing, strategic partnerships, and of course, mindset. 
all the things you need to know to break that next income level. Every month, you will get a live content audit from me where you'll get feedback on your sales material, social media channels, and your copy. So there will never be a time where you don't know what to say to convert your subscribers and followers into paying clients and customers. Every month, you'll get a live Q&A call where you'll get all of your questions answered, not to mention hot seat coaching and daily support and prompts and accountability in our private Slack channel. If you know that now is your time, that you are ready to cross that next income level and step into that big vision, head to the show description for the link and come and join us. How do you avoid the burnout of, especially many of the people listening are like you, outward facing, right? They're the Mm -hmm. face of their business. I think (laughs) I speak to people so much, so often, and I feel this from time to time, where you're just like, I just can't even imagine putting my face on Instagram stories right now, right? Mm. And, you know, our mind starts to, you know, go into overdrive with the, oh my God, you know, what is this going to mean for my business? Taking like a little bit of time off or, you know, especially those commitments of maintaining like the, the social media channels, the YouTube, the podcast, all of that kind of stuff. Like how do you protect yourself from the burnout of naturally, you know, being outward facing, being a big part of the marketing strategy? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely a challenge. You mentioned Instagram stories there. I'm actually on like a little bit of a a break from Instagram stories right now because I actually find Instagram stories to be one of the hardest places to show up consistently. And I know some people do it super naturally. Like it just just comes naturally to them and they've made it a big part of their daily routine to be sharing on Instagram stories. But I'm an introvert myself and I also have, you know, a bunch of little kids and kind of like a little bit of a crazy life sometimes. And so So just adding that extra little bit of pressure to then be also documenting, um, it doesn't work very well in my lifestyle. So I'll do it for a little while because it is fun um, and it is, I do find that significantly affects my growth on Instagram when I do it. Um, but I have made a very intentional decision to not make it a primary part of my marketing strategy because I know that when stuff gets tough, when I get a little bit burned out, when I'm tired, um, when I've got too much on my plate, it is the hardest thing and the most stressful thing for me to try to fit in. And so that kind of ties into the, I think the bigger answer here, which is being strategic and intentional and thoughtful about where, about your marketing strategies and making sure that you're choosing marketing strategies that will fit with your life and with your personal preferences. If you are going to be a big part of that marketing, if your face is going to be on it. So if if your face wasn't on it at all, you might just look at, okay, where is the biggest group of my customers and where is the cheapest um, visibility? Like where can I get in front of the most people with the least uh, challenges um, or at the lowest cost, uh, for example? But when you are such an integral part of your marketing, then you really have to take your personal preferences into consideration because your personal preferences are going to affect your energy when and how you show up and how consistently you can show up. And so if you are, for example, if you are just like, okay, cheapest exposure is on LinkedIn. So I'm going to use LinkedIn as my main platform, but you don't enjoy being on LinkedIn. Um, or for me, like I was just saying, Instagram stories, I find them kind of hard to maintain, you know, then that's going to long-term be a really difficult thing to maintain. This is why I've actually chosen YouTube. I mean, there are lots of other reasons why I think YouTube is an amazing opportunity, but you know, one of the big reasons I chose YouTube is first of all, I really enjoy YouTube. I watched YouTube for a long time before I started YouTube. But then second, um, YouTube provides a unique opportunity to make long form content. So really substantial content that lives in the, the ecosystem on the platform for a long time, for years. So I can make content once and it can continue to reach new customers and bring new customers back to my business. Um, but it's content that I don't have to make live. So I can film a few videos back to back one month um, at the beginning of the month. And then I don't have to film again or be on camera again for the entire month, for example. Or I can spend just a little bit of time each week making a new video. 
you know, set up and talk to the camera for 15 or 30 minutes. And that's all I have to do all week. So I find that just because of the nature of YouTube, um, I'm able to really fit it to my schedule a lot better than I could something where the shelf life of the content is a lot shorter, like Instagram or Twitter or even Facebook. Yeah. And could you just... This is such a great segue because with YouTube, I don't think that people realize how much of an opportunity it is just even for the SEO power, Mm -hmm. you know, compared to something like Instagram. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah. I, I just have to believe that people don't understand what an opportunity it is or else everyone would do it. (laughs) Seriously. Okay. Imagine if someone said, you can have free advertisements on TV. I'll, I'll bankroll them. All you have to do is like show up on set and we'll film you talking to the camera. And then we will put this advertisement for your business on TV. Most people would say, um, yeah, because they know that TV ads are normally really expensive. But the crazy thing is that making YouTube videos can actually be far more effective than TV ads. Because most of the time, people tune out when they are watching TV and an ad comes on. They'll put it on mute. They'll fast forward forward if that's an option. Um, They'll leave the room to go get another drink, something like that. They're not really paying attention and TV ads are not very targeted because they're just being blasted to everyone who's watching that program at the moment. YouTube videos, on the other hand, and I'm not talking about YouTube ads here, I'm just talking about free YouTube videos. People are choosing to watch them intentionally. Um, so they're definitely you know, paying attention. They're not muting them or anything like that. And also people are choosing videos to watch based on their interests. So they're targeting themselves, if you will, but also the YouTube algorithm is just so incredible. They've you know, spent millions and millions of dollars perfecting this algorithm that matches viewers with videos they want to watch. So it's not up to the viewers to go out there and find your videos. If you make good videos that are going to actually help or appeal to a certain demographic, the YouTube algorithm is actually going to help you to get in front of the right people. So yeah, it's just an amazing machine for getting your content in front of people. And there's so many different ways that you can make YouTube videos to attract customers, not just to entertain an audience, but to really attract the right customers to your business and to move them closer to buying. So basically you can in your home with your phone, with your webcam, or, you know, potentially with a nicer camera, but the cameras and phones these days are phenomenal. So with your phone, you can film yourself. Um, It doesn't have to be an extremely complicated thing. It doesn't have to be extremely time consuming. You can put it up and you can reach thousands and thousands of people. Um, You know, at first, of course, it's not going to be thousands, but it very quickly can be if you're making quality content. It doesn't have to take more than a couple months for the algorithm to really figure out what's what's up with your channel and who your videos appeal to. You don't have to wait till you have hundreds of thousands of subscribers before you can reach a significant number of people. Even when you have zero subscribers and you're first starting out, once the algorithm simply figures out what your content is about and that people are enjoying it, then it doesn't care how many subscribers you have. It'll recommend your videos to people and you can get a lot of views on your videos. So how are you taking advantage and leveraging those eyeballs to drive conversions? Are you noticing that there are specific types of content that you're putting out in YouTube that are performing better in terms of actually moving from the engagement and getting people watching the content to actually becoming paying customers? So, well, first of all, I would just say anyone who's not in the business niche online or the online business niche, um, go for YouTube because honestly, the niche I'm in on YouTube is one of the very most challenging just due to the nature of the content. Um, But if you're in any other industry or niche, then YouTube is the place to be. Also, I realized I didn't quite answer your question about how it can help your SEO. So maybe we'll get back to that. Um, But as far as moving people from watching your videos to turning into paying customers, one of the things that I found makes the biggest difference is really if you can help people get a result while they're watching. Um, So you're not just, again, you're not just entertaining them, but you're also not just giving them information. This is a mistake that I see a lot of people make and a mistake that honestly Mm -hmm. I make regularly myself is that I think, okay, people want, you know, an answer to a question. So I'll just teach them. 
And sometimes for some questions, for some video topics that can do it and people can really appreciate that. But more people appreciate if you actually help them do something. So whether that is you showing them the behind the scenes of you doing it so that they have a better understanding of how to do it themselves or you guiding them through an exercise so that they are either doing it as they watch or at least they're seeing how it's done. So one of the most successful examples of this I can give is a video I made a year or two ago that was about how to write a business plan. And it's called something really straightforward, like how to write a business plan. In the video, I I already had a business plan template that I had worked up that we were using as an opt-in offer on my website. And so instead of just talking to people about how to write a business plan and then saying, by the way, if you have a template, what I did was in the video, I filled out the template while I talked through how to fill out the template. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this did was not only did it make a video that was far more helpful to people that has gotten hundreds of thousands of views at this point that a lot of people have you know, reached out to thank me for, you know, and said how helpful it was to them. But it also made that opt-in offer so much more appealing when people really saw how they would use it. Um, And clearly that was the solution to their problem of, you know, needing to write a business plan. And so that video converts at uh, astounding over 13%. So what I mean by that is over 13% of the people who watched that video then went on to subscribe to my email list. And so considering it has a couple hundred thousand views, um, that video alone, which, you know, took me just a couple hours to make, it has brought in tens of thousands of leads just from that one video, which is an insane ROI on my time. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So considering how powerful YouTube is and how focused I know that you are, what made you decide to layer in podcasting? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, So yeah, a lot of people I think wondered that, you know, when they saw me starting a podcast and they thought, man, Gillian already gets so much visibility on YouTube. Why is she starting a podcast? And so the answer is that these two things fit at different places in my marketing funnel. So basically, YouTube is fantastic for getting visibility, for reaching new customers because of that algorithm and because of search. And so it's a great way for new people to find my brand. And sometimes it can move people, um, well, a lot of the time, it moves people to the next stage in my funnel, which is becoming a lead. So I'm able to get people to opt in. But it is very hard to use YouTube to move people past that part of the selling process or the buying process. Um, And that's because of a few different factors. First, I would say it's because of the kinds of content that do well on YouTube. Um, so the kinds of content you need to close that sale, they're not going to perform well on YouTube. Um, second, people perceive YouTubers in a certain light, but not for better or for worse, really. You know, I would say a good light. But in order to close the sale, you, you, you're going to do it most successfully if people truly see you as an expert. And while YouTube is a great place to get, I would say, popularity and visibility, it's not the best place to position yourself as an expert. And then another thing would be uh, how people consume consume YouTube content. There are a lot of distractions on YouTube, and that's intentional. They want the second someone get the second that someone gets bored with the video they're watching, they want something else to be there so that they click over to another video and they don't leave YouTube as a platform, which. I completely understand, but it means that average view length on YouTube is two, three, four minutes. Um, And so that's not enough time to move people to ultimately make that purchase. Um, You need to connect with someone on a bit of a deeper level. You need to, to get more trust from them and you need to be able to show them more about how your product can help them to close that sale. So anyway, so YouTube is at the top of my funnel. It's what brings new customers in. The podcast fits in under that. The podcast isn't to attract new customers. Sometimes people are able to attract new customers with their podcast. Absolutely. But I would say that's more the exception than the rule. You know, when a podcast goes viral, that's a little bit unusual. So I wouldn't recommend to someone to start a podcast if they don't have much of an audience yet and they're just trying to get visibility. But where it fits in really well is by creating a deeper connection and more trust with 
your leads. So people who have already heard of you, who are already somehow in your contacts, whether they're following on social media or they are on your email list. So you can tell them directly, I have a new podcast episode. Then if they are interested in that topic of your episode, they'll go and they'll listen to it. And this is where they will come to really consider you an expert when they hear a lot more detail, when you really help them, and when they hear your voice talking in their ear, um, which is just a special sort of relationship to have with them. Also, they're going to be listening to you for way longer. You can throw it, you can share with them more details about your product. Not that it should be a selling pitch. It certainly shouldn't be, but you can mention more about your product just because you have so much more time. You also can do a lot of work on moving them through their buyer's journey of going from problem aware to solution aware, and finally to aware of your product as the best solution. Um, so you can do a lot of work there that you just can't do on YouTube. So yeah, it, basically it just fits in into a different place in my overall big picture selling strategy. And I think that that is something that a lot of people miss when they are trying to decide what their marketing strategy should be is they think that all the different I'll say marketing platforms, and I just mean places you could market your business, everything from YouTube to Facebook ads to Instagram stories to your email newsletter, you know, all these different places people create content to market their business. They think they're all equal and that they all can create the same results. Um, and while there are so many amazing ones out there, they're all different and they all have different places where they will ideally really fit into your, your customer journey and putting one of any of them in the wrong place of your customer journey, um, will significantly severely affect your ultimate results. Oh my God, Jillian, this is gold. I hope everyone's taking notes of this. And again, this goes back to what she was mentioning in the beginning about this is not, this is not accidental. You can hear the amount of intention that has gone into this and the planning. This is why we need the time to work on our business. Cause I know that many of you are feeling like I'm doing all the things and it's not about doing all the things. It's about really being intentional about the purpose that each of these platforms are solving. Love this. Thank you. So how does this, we've we kind of walked through the marketing. How does this fit with your service suite? I'm really curious to find out what made you decide to land on focusing primarily on courses and memberships, especially considering that your membership is very accessibly priced. Mm -hmm. What has been the strategy behind that? So when I first started my online business, I was offering services and I quickly realized as soon as I, I would say as soon as I successfully was selling services. So, you know, there was a period of time when I was just trying to get things off the ground, wasn't making sales. Then I finally started making sales of my services. And within the first few months of that, I realized that while, yeah, it was cool that I could make money online and that I was getting customers, it was not really fulfilling my ultimate goals for my online business, which was to give me that flexibility over my time. Serving customers, um, you know, is an amazing opportunity, but it didn't give me that flexibility or that freedom because you have to show up, um, you know, sometimes at specific times or at least very, very regularly on like a daily basis or multiple times a week to get that work done by, you know, by deadlines. Right. So, uh, while I was thankful to have the work, it wasn't what I wanted to do long-term. I realized that I have such, you know, I've always been a teacher in one capacity or another. When I was running my local business, I was teaching music and I did that for a really long time. And I realized there was a reason for that, even though that wasn't my ultimate destiny of a career teaching music there, there was a reason that I was in a teacher role. And so I, I wanted to do that in my online business. And I was also just fascinated by the idea of passive income. I read so much material about how to create passive income and benefits of passive income and all that. And I knew that was what I wanted for myself and services weren't going to give that to me. And so, um, Obviously, there are many different ways to create passive income, and I tried quite a few of them. But what I loved about courses and memberships um, 
were basically that they had the biggest, and I think I'm forgetting the, the right technical word here, but basically for the the risk, the amount of money you're risking and all, and the amount of even time you're risking, and also for the, the cost to create and deliver these products, they have the biggest potential for revenue and for profit. And so like there are lots of other things that you can invest significant amounts of money in that can create passive income, but nothing else that is as affordable and accessible to create um, with that huge profit potential. So with courses, um, because with a course, unlike an ebook, you are providing a very substantial amount of information in a way that is really designed to get them a result. So, you know, the biggest difference between a course and an ebook is an ebook, you've just got words on a page, obviously. Of course, normally you have videos where you're showing people how to do the things and you're also providing additional resources like templates or swipe copy um, or, you know, any sort of extra resource to help them really do the work. So because you're providing such a higher value, you can charge a much higher price. Ebooks often sell for five or 10 or $15, you know, sometimes more, but $15 is pretty normal. A course is a pretty common price for a course would be anywhere between a hundred and a thousand dollars and sometimes significantly more than that. Um, but uh, to anyone out there who has written a book and who has made a course, they know creating a course is not that much more work. Sometimes it's less work than writing a book. Writing a book, you know, writing all those words takes a really long time. And then you've got all the editing and the formatting and everything after that. Talking to a camera to create your course can be far less time and a lot less editing work after that. Anyway, so... So I just saw courses as a huge opportunity and then membership sites similarly, but slightly differently. Um, most of the time a membership won't be as much each month, but you get that revenue coming in month after month after month, which creates continuity in your past of income, monthly recurring income, monthly recurring revenue. So what that means is that you don't have to be going out there and trying to make the sale every month because in the grand scheme of marketing your business and making sales, the hardest part of the process is that last final step of closing the sale. And it doesn't matter whether you're selling something for $5 or you're selling something for $5,000, that's still going to be the trickiest part. And so if you can get someone to subscribe to your membership program, then that makes that one step automatic every month, which is just a, a huge, will have a huge impact on your revenue. So those are a couple of the reasons why I really like courses and memberships and decided to go that route. So with the membership, I'd love for you to share just some of the things that people should be aware of, the pros and the cons. So as you said, some of the pros are that you have consistent recurring revenue, mm -hmm. um, but some of the challenges is that churn is a very real thing. Oh yeah, and um, there's also the there's also things of keeping people engaged. You know, keep, keeping people engaged, um, and and then also because when it's a low ticket, then there becomes a pressure to have volume in order for that to be one of your core offers. Right, you need to yes. be able to have a certain amount of people in there for that offer to be viable in its in its own right. So is there anything else that people should be thinking about in terms of some of the pros and cons of a membership? Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I'll briefly touch on, you mentioned churn. Um, I mean, that's certainly the thing that is on everyone's mind if they're selling some sort of subscription product. Um, and so that just means that every month you are losing a certain percentage of your members. Um, however, I would say, at least in my experience, that hasn't been the biggest challenge by any means. Um, you also mentioned keeping them engaged. Uh, that's a bigger challenge. And if you can keep them engaged, then churn is really not an issue at all. Um, it's more getting them to use the content that they're paying for that is the, the hard thing there. Mm. Um, and so that really goes back to, you know, looking at, I would say listening to your customers as you're creating the product, as you're continuing to run the product or the program, you have to be listening to them. You have to be hearing what their challenges are both, you know, relating to like, let's say you had a membership about, um, 
for people who had aquariums. You know, one challenge they have is setting up their aquarium and, you know, which fish should I pick and uh, how do I keep my fish alive and all those sorts of things. But another challenge, and the, like the underlayer of it is how do I keep myself organized? How do I have time for this? Those sorts of things. And so you have to make sure that your content is really meeting them where they're at and is helping them with those underlying challenges, both so they can be successful with their aquarium, but also so that they will remain a member of your program because they're actually consuming and getting value from the content. Mm. Um, so then the other thing you mentioned there was about, um, you know, if it's a lower ticket offering, then you have to have a certain amount of volume and, I think that this is one of the most overlooked issues with having a membership. And it's the, the number one reason why I wouldn't recommend a membership to a lot of people. Here is what can happen. Um, and this kind of goes regardless of how expensive your membership is if it's on the lower end. So if you're not charging thousands of dollars a month for your membership, which most people aren't, then what can happen is you've got this great idea for a membership and you want that monthly recurring revenue. You want passive income. So, okay. So let's see if people want this. Sure enough, you think some people want it. So you decide to go ahead and build it. You invest a lot of time and energy, maybe money into building out this membership and then you launch it and hooray, you get a few members. So you're excited that you got some sales, but then because you're not actually earning that much from each of them every month, but you have committed to them because you said this is a membership and you've promised them a certain amount of new material every month, you are now quite tied down and a little bit in a corner because these members, they're only paying you, let's say a few hundred dollars a month because there's not very many of them and it's not very expensive to them, but you've committed to, you know, maybe 20 hours of work per month. And so now you have far less time to market the membership but you're earning very little for this work that you're doing. And so it just, it, it creates a really difficult situation because mm. you can't go out there and get new members, but you have to keep serving the members you have. <laughs> so, so that's why I would recommend to a membership to a lot of people because you have to make sure you have the, the volume there that, you know, the, the right number of leads so that you'll be able to close the right number of customers to make it really worth your time. And, but, most ideally, so that you will have surplus revenue that you can use to delegate some of the tasks of running the membership so that you will have enough time left over to really go out there and continue to grow the program. And so a good rule of thumb, I would say, is when you are interested in launching, you know, you can do this before you even build the program or you can do it right before you launch. Um, but start building your wait list. And the size of your wait list is a very good indicator of how many members you'll actually be able to sign up um, in most situations. So for example, when I first launched Startup Society, my membership program, I announced it a couple months ahead. I started asking people to get on the wait list. By the time I launched, I had 300 people on the wait list. Now, of those people who signed up for the wait list, really? Only 100 or 150 of those people bought. A lot of those people didn't buy. But then there were other people who had never signed up for the waitlist who bought as well. So between some of the people from the waitlist, a, a significant percentage of those waitlist people, and a smaller percentage of the rest of my audience, I ended up with 300 members. Now, of course, it doesn't always pan out that way, but it's generally a pretty good rule of thumb. Yeah. And we thank you for that, Gideon. We are kind of running up on time. So I just want to make sure that I get this question in before we wrap up. And so that was such a great tip for people thinking about memberships. I want to quickly ask you about the course side, because I know that you have a mixed strategy. You have some that are evergreen that people can join anytime. Mm -hmm. You have some that are waitlist, and then you have others that you have the kind of urgency, the deadline funnel, the countdown timers. What makes you do a combination of all of those? That is a great question. It's something that is very uh, timely right now because that's something we're currently working on. So honestly, um, my my answer here would be that I just know that I can only focus on a few things at a time. And so I don't want the doors to all the courses open all the time. Um, this is one of the reasons, at least. I don't want the doors to all the courses open all the time because I'd rather 
run a few programs at a time and run them really well um, and then offer other programs when I have the time. So that's part of it. Um, the other part is, you know, when you have the doors open, whether that is an evergreen, like with a timer, uh, that they will open up or you open them up live, then you're going to be able to create a lot more of that selling psychology type of urgency. So basically if the doors are open all the time, if anyone can buy it at any time, then there's no reason for them to buy it now. But if you are opening and closing it, then you, then people will want to buy before it closes. So they don't miss out. Um, and this is, obviously really common across all industries using different types of these selling mechanisms, whether it's putting something on sale for a certain amount of time or only offering something for a certain amount of time, we're only offering a limited quantity of something. Um, and so let's see. So a couple of my courses we have closed, not so much because we're trying to create this selling pressure, but because like I said, I want to focus on a smaller number of programs. Um, a couple of them are available for people to just buy whenever they want because I want there to be something out there that people can um, purchase if they are ready to buy right now so that they can get a taste of what my paid products are like and they can get some help towards you know whatever problem they're trying to solve. And then we have some products that we open close on either a live basis or with those timers. And that is because we want to sell those products, but they're products that people aren't going to just buy off the shelf uh, because they're more expensive products. Um, as far as opening and closing live versus opening and closing with the timers, it just goes, it just like depends on the specific situation. Um, a lot of the time, the timers are good. If you want to be selling something evergreen, you want to be continually making sales, but you know, it's going to be that you're going to be much more successful selling it if you can create some of that urgency um, versus with the live I would say the live is the best for something that you're really offering live so um, if you're going to be if it's a more high-touch product where you're running the course live or you're running the membership live and you're really interacting with the members maybe everyone's going through the material at the same time so maybe this is a program that you only offer a certain number of times per year maybe only once per year then a live launch will be your best option there because it's going to create the highest amount of that urgency because it's you know it's real like this is really the only time someone can possibly get it and it's going to be the most authentic with the buying experience. And there's no point in setting up an evergreen system there if there actually is only one time that people could buy it. Yeah. And again, I think the commonality throughout this whole conversation is you can see that there's there's so much thought that goes into it. None of nothing that you do is accidental. Um, so I, I love that. I appreciate that. How can people continue to learn from you? Yeah, well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. I'm glad we got to dive a little bit deeper into some of these topics. Um, so people can find me by Googling my name, Gillian Perkins, um, or by going to gillianperkins.com, um, or by looking up my name on YouTube. Um, they can get to my channel directly if they go to youtube.com slash gillianperkinsonline, but I think it's easier to just type in my name. Amazing. Gillian, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So that's it for this week's episode of the Lifestyle Edit podcast. You can download more episodes of this podcast and subscribe in Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you enjoyed what you heard, we would love a review or recommendation. It's the number one way for us to share these stories and insights with as many creative female entrepreneurs as possible. And don't forget, all the information on how to join the TLE community is in the show notes or simply head to thelifestyleedit.com to sign up. Yeah.